lives. Yeah. So we're going to kind of get into things. Yeah, we're live. We're live. We'll edit. We'll edit. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't mean people smoke. Yeah, we'll cut that out. No, trust me, I'm pretty good at editing. Um, <laughs> that was good cut. <laughs> anyway, uh, welcome to episode six, uh, Trip Around Saturn, episode Jimmy B. Jim, welcome. Howdy. We're going to kind of just jump into things, I guess. Got Kate here with me if he wants to check in. Yes, sir. How are we doing? And then you got Alex as well, host of the show, co-host of the show. <laughs> um, so, Jim, first thing we want to start with is... Uh, just give us like a little background about yeah, yourself, I guess. Who you are, what you know. Born and raised in Chicago. Uh, went to Catholic grammar school, Catholic high school. Uh, was your C student. Quit wrestling. Wrestled in high grammar <laughs> school and high school, and yes. Did you wrestle all the way through high school then, or no? And I quit when I was a uh, junior year. Came back when I was a senior. I got you. You were good though, right? To find good, we yeah. were one A. So were we? No, hey, three A. Three A. East Suburban Catholic Conference. So you had to mm. like Catholic. You so you were like the powerhouse. So you get yeah, that was tough. <laughs> we ended up winning it all my senior year. First really? time ever in, for our school history. Wow. Five of us Why took first place. to. St. Pat's. So your your team won state. Picture. No. Oh, okay. Uh, just to get the state, was like a the big deal. like the conference. Okay. We won our region. So oh, you won your region. Five got to of go us, the two the two the two twins. I'm not going to say their names. My who's the other one's my lawyer. The other one's a financial whiz <laughs> who got the scholarships to Northwestern and are retired at young ages. Sweet. Well, wait, you wrestle. Uh, started at 98, freshman year 105, sophomore year, and then uh, senior year was 119 and 112. Yeah. What's your record? Do you remember your senior year? Senior year, I was asked to come back because someone got hurt, mm -hmm. and with one reason to wrestle this kid from Holy Cross eventually. So I got back three quarters of the way through the season, and I think I lost one match in overtime. To a guy who went down state the year before. I didn't know. he. It was one of those fun matches where it was like 15 15. Yeah. <laughs> and then he danced me into a fireman. I remember you telling me about, you said you got into like a fight with one of the kids you were wrestling. A couple. <laughs> Did, and I remember you saying like the fans would get involved and whatnot too. That was, uh, oh God. The fight was when I was a freshman wrestling sophomore at a tournament and the guy who eventually won it was a city some type of city tournament I don't know. he was just having his way with me and taking me up take me down let me up take me down let me up and i just i suck at takedowns and we <laughs> rolled out of bounds and i punched him and then he punched me and knocked me out <laughs> yeah, so. jim what year like high school did you graduate st patrick's no no what year 1980 1980 oh, wow what a time dude what was the 70s like Cause you so you graduated in 81? 80, 80, 80. Oh, sorry, that's okay. Um, our graduation was when they let the hostages go in Iran. That was our my oh, whole oh. senior year. Okay. So okay. you spent like the last four years of the seventies, which seventy six to eighty. Mm -hmm. That's probably like the prime time to be a high school kid. That and like so, what was it like? A growing up in like Catholic schools because for us out here, very strict. Yeah, I was about to say we don't have that. They're very strict. What was your uh, extracurricular like nighttime activities like? Because <laughs> I knew you had some. Oh yeah. Oh, I don't know. Uh, 
getting alcohol wasn't that hard from the time I was 16 on a fake ID when I was 17, but the drinking age was 19 for oh, beer and wine. Yeah, yeah. And it was 18 in Wisconsin. When did they up that? Like right after I graduated, like yeah. a year or two, probably 82, 83. And then they made it 21. But the beer and wine in Illinois went till I was like 19 or 20. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you didn't have picture IDs. You had a, your driver's license just was height and weight. So, okay. Me and my brother looked alike. <laughs> His disappeared one time when it was, when they made him picture IDs. Yeah. So, what would you do to grow up in the 70s? I would love it. I mean, if you could trade, I mean, it's, I guess that's, I wish we grew up without like the, it seems like things are a lot stricter nowadays. Um, You could maybe get away with more. And you, even if you got caught, it was like, all right, I'll call your parents, like parents come get you or like something like that. Um, Like now it's actually facing like actual consequences. Well, now it seems like you get in trouble for everything. I mean, you can't even speak without there being repercussions on what you said that's and, a big difference yeah and well in technology like everything's so phone exactly. oriented and like i feel like back then you look at stuff and everyone's just in the moment having a good time and man i just feel like that'd be such a music was incredible when was woodstock well, that was 69 oh, that was 60, yeah. 69 but yeah. there was woodstock too that was that was thousands like, like 90 something 90s, 90s early 2000 yeah that was flea playing naked yeah, <laughs> yeah. and singing the Jimi Hendrix song, let me stand next to your fire while they were trying to, but they were inciting a riot. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. There's a documentary on Netflix about that. I watched it. It, it was insane. They oh, just, oh my God, I can't imagine being there. It was just disgusting, like with the sanitation. Yeah, like they didn't have drinking they water. Didn't, yeah, they didn't have drinking water. And if they did, it was bottled water. That, and they were charging $8 a bottle back then. Yeah. So it's like 25 bucks for a water. I just, they were paid, but then they didn't have enough garbage at disposal. They didn't have that was, that was the 90s. yeah, that was yeah. the '90s one. The, the first one, I don't know what it was like. A it was more of like a you know hippie like peace and love. Type but thing. it also was just like thrown together, if I'm remembering correctly. It wasn't something that was like super planned out for this long time. Like it just it kind of just happened, and somehow miraculously everything just worked out the way yeah. it should have. Yeah. I mean, this peace one's, and love. That was that was when Jimmy played like the national anthem on the yep. guitar. Right? Mm-hmm. You had the Who, you had uh, Chance Joplin. I, yep. I can go down the line. Exactly. Yeah, uh, Jackson Brown. I don't know. There was a lot. Yeah. And, Speaking of sanitation, Jimmy oh, you retired from the sanitation department in Chicago. Sanitation. I was with them for twenty some years. I started in aviation when I started when I was eighteen. And I was thinking about that when we went to the Hawks game the other night, like with Maverick, you know, he, he, I had no, if someone would have told me when I signed on the dotted line that at 50, I could walk away and be retired almost at full. Mm-hmm. I said, you're crazy. Cause I did not see myself living in Chicago from 18 till I was 50. Cause you had to live in the city mm-hmm. and working the same job. I transferred, but I'm glad I did. I'm glad I, I wasn't a quitter. I stuck it out and started at aviation at the low part and you get moved around a little bit there and you would see some crazy stuff <laughs> in the Ed O'Hare back way before 9-11 in the 80s. And I worked midnights. I, I watched the first guy I watched. I watched him die. Oh, wow. And there were people who would go to O'Hare to commit suicide. 
Really? Wow. Another guy uh, shot himself in the B lot and laid on the horn. He fell on the horn. We could hear him from where our office was. We could hear the horn going. Back then, they didn't have car alarms and yeah, shot himself. Another guy uh, was executed in the C lot. So, I don't know what that means. <laughs> what was security like then at this time? I mean, was there any, or was there, could you just kind of waltz into the, the airport? And O'Hare in the 80s or the early 80s at night where all the homeless would go. Really? And there was no TSA or nothing like that. You go right to the gate and just camp out. Mm. And if I got to walk through the terminals at night, like if something was open, you could go get lunch there because there was no, you know, I get lunch for everyone and bring it back. Um, it was just homeless everywhere. And then they, I think when uh, Daly got in, he cleaned it up. Yeah. Cause I know just from when I've worked at O'Hare, it takes an hour just to get in once you're there. So not only am I driving from obviously where we live in the boonies, it takes hour and a half to get to O'Hare, hour 45. Then you have to wait an hour almost just to get badged in and then get escorted out of the, out of the runway, wherever you're going. Cause we were doing a lighting bolt there, but just insane to see like, how it is now versus how it was when you were there. It, it, I mean, it's literally a city. Yeah it's, it's, yeah. it's a city. And now you, you know, I used to, then when I went back after I got in streets and sanitation, you had to go do six months or you could volunteer. I volunteered the second time. You had to do from November to the end of April of snow removal, which United Airlines paid for. And we would plow the runways and you could just, imagine what the late 80s 1990 you know air traffic you could just see it for miles and if, if they had two runways open you could look out over the lake and they would just be turning if it was a clear night once the snow stopped they'd be way out and you're like how do they land all these without a problem right and get them to take off but we we aborted a couple trying to get equipment across mm -hmm. did you ever run any issues like with an airplane like landing gear not functioning correctly and like having to like go out i guess mm, put out fires stuff like that yeah at the approach of one of the runways one time and i'll never forget it it was a twa i want to say dc9 and we were on the ramp what was called the ramps and here's what we would do is sit at the approach and if a pilot radioed in like a piece of metal or deer or something i don't know you had to rip out there between landings and get it off there if i remember correctly and there was it was windy that day and they were landing I don't know what 27 left, I want to say. I don't know exactly. And you can hear the tower, but you can't talk to them. Mm -hmm. Or that's the FAA, your FCC. You don't want to do that. But you can hear the planes are saying, okay, TWA, whatever, but uh, watch for a wind, wind, this and that. And he was just banking as he was coming in like this. And he got it steady. He was like 50 feet off the ground. And the wind hit him. And I can still see it. His nose went up. His tail just hit the runway and just sparks everywhere he pulled the nose down we couldn't leave we had to stay there but i remember i was with this guy john and we looked at each other like i would love to go to the gate because we knew where dwa's get and see those passengers <laughs> getting off yeah. Yeah. that that's probably i've heard of other stuff where uh i wasn't there a day when uh a, T uh, a 747 took off and one of the, our drivers said he blew like three tires on takeoff so then that that 747 KAL, I want to say, or whatever, big, they had to go out over Lake Michigan and dump his fuel mm -hmm. and then come back and do a flyby with his gear down and let the tower look and see if 
indeed he did blow tires and they couldn't tell so they phoned the runway anyway called out the crap you know the fire department and i guess he blew three more tires on on the landing and the guy who called it in was right otherwise he would have been in a lot of trouble yeah. so otherwise it's it's routine out there mm-hmm. you know for taking off and landing it's if you saw it it's just a beautiful sight one up, one down, one up, one down. You can't have a plane on the on the approach while another one's landing. You have to wait till he's completely off and then boom, you got to get going. Get that speed up. Whatever. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, no, that's a cool job. You guys did a lot of snow removal, didn't you? Yeah. That's like mainly what you did out yeah. there. Yeah. You just line them up, plow, snowblower, which were just huge snowblowers, plow, snowblower, plow, snowblower. And then at the end, you'd have four de-icers come down with that expensive stuff that would, because you can't throw salt right. when there's planes out there. So you you started that when you're 18 years old? No, that I was doing in my 20s. Okay. I got transferred to Streets and Sand when I was like 24. Okay. And that's when I started driving. Okay. And then from there, I went on to garbage which was uh, interesting <laughs> to say the least. And when you're new, when you don't have any seniority, you're working in the bad neighborhoods. Yeah. But as I got older, I got to do like uh, Wrigleyville, Lakeview, um, just some really rich neighborhoods. So how does your, cause if I'm correct, were you worked like you worked at Wrigley, right? No, that was my second job. That was just, well, that's what I'm saying. Cause like you had this at, like as your day job right. or whatever. Your, Six your to two thirty. That was our hours, and then I would go to uh, Wrigley at three to a restaurant and barbecue, <laughs> and uh, work as like just a gopher. Let's just call me a gopher because I would do whatever needed to be done. So you never worked at Wrigley, right? No, not not at the field. Okay, no. Because well, remember we were at the White Sox game. Last and that year. guy knew me. Yeah. He uh was a driver like me for sure. Oh, but that was his okay. second job. Okay. I would see him at the stadium at Hawks games. Okay. Their, their those vendors were all like in the same unit. Yeah, makes Is that common? Like you guys got off early enough to where you could go and work a second job then if you were in sanitation or a lot of us, yeah. Yeah, I guess. I just never really paid attention to anyone iron them. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> what years did you work that second job? Oh, from, uh, I could tell you the year, uh, my first day there was, uh, October of 98, right after cup season ended and they still would have someone work weekends. And then my first opening day was 99. I want to say, or 97. I no, it was 97, October of 97. So my first opening day was 98. And that was the year they made the wild card Mm -hmm. when they had it and they, Maddox and Glavin took care of them and like that. <laughs> Did you ever have to pay to get any of the games? I mean, if you're working, dude, that's awesome. Especially like Sammy Sosa era too, watching yeah, him play. Exactly. Or he's, I mean, he has a lot of stories about like Mark Grace and stuff like that. Mark Grace is a big guy. He never refused an autograph. Never. And he, when he was coming in, you know he was coming in because there would be a lot of pretty girls. and <laughs> Just make sure a chicken tank pizza, a pack of Marlboro Lights and a bunch of rolling rocks and ice. And, and he would sit there and if he wasn't eating, he would take, I, I have a picture with him somewhere and Rod Beck and couple of the guys who worked there but he was really he was a classy guy there were others who like carry wood when he was a mm-hmm. rookie was there uh traxel 
that was uh, interesting. Was there anybody that like would just hang out with you guys? Like any of the players that would when they drank? Yeah. yeah. Um, Terry Mulholland uh, was a reliever who they got later, but um, Demerit. Oh, uh, he pitched for San Francisco. Um, he was the Cubs pitching coach when uh, Wood was a uh, a rookie. Marty Demerit. I want to say that's his name. He he was. It'd be August. He'd be walking around with a coat on and wearing just <laughs> all over. And he, Jimmy, my brother. I think they're gonna let me go. I'm like, <laughs> oh, you guys suck. <laughs> That'd be a funny conversation. Yeah. But if I wanted, if I ever wanted to go to a game when I wasn't working, all I had to do was tell him, and he would uh, put That's in and cool. put him under his name, and yeah. just say you're his son or something. But yeah. he ended up going to, back to San Jose, I want to say, or Sacramento, and he had a construction business because after that year, when Wood was a rookie, they revamped things. So, were you ever a hot dog guy? Screaming the stands, hot no, dogs. No, he's saying he didn't oh. do that. Oh no, oh, no, no I you never did. A bar or a restaurant. <laughs> no, he worked just. Oh, I got a few thrown at If I ever thought about it, I'd been in Wrigley over three hundred times. Yeah, oh, was, starting when I was Gavin's age. Yeah, he would take the bus down there, mm-hmm. and there was nobody. It was day baseball. Yeah. So you started that in '97. You said, did you have all the way to 2010 till the year the wow. Hawks won the uh, Stanley Cup? Okay. And. I do have a picture of the of the ring. One of the words has brought it in. Our owner knew a lot of people, and I have a picture. It's on my phone. Um, but after that, I had to stop because that's when I had back surgery. And then they kind of phased out uh, extra help like us because it was well, the winters weren't that good there anymore. It used to be a busy place to be, Wrigleyville. Maybe it is again, but then the Cubs got good. But I'd already moved and retired. Yep. Did you have a – so between 80 and 97, did you have another second job? Between 80 and – I had a lot of them. Um, before that, I worked at a, a friend's hot dog stand. Uh, there was a beef stand I worked at by my house. Um, the hot dog stand I worked at, if I could put a plug-in for him, Bobo's on uh, <laughs> Cumberland. Very good food. I worked for Phyllis, who recently passed. She was, she was good and uh, – I used to cook there and they, they had really good food. A lot of people, I, it's where you would see people. It would, right. You know, same thing with the restaurant I worked at through high school or the beef stand. That's where everyone hung out. Mm-hmm. So if you want to know who, do, who did the kids, they would all go into Roma's or the McDonald's down there and hang out, yeah. play the video games. Didn't you say you worked as a bouncer at one time too? Yeah, that was the the bar job. At I got you. See, that makes me because they would call me a bouncer. <laughs> people that don't know Jim, Jim's not a very big guy. <laughs> Jim, about five. You five eight? No, five five. Five five. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I mean, he's a wrestler. He's tough as nails. So. Yeah, exactly. They don't know that though. Just but like also, that. like being a bouncer too is more. It's like you just get people to like you, and you're like, hey, come on. Yeah. You make friends with the regulars who are twice the size of me. Yeah. And when something happens, you try and talk to them. You want to get them out the door mm-hmm. as fast as you can. Just get because once they're out the door, you shut the door. And then if they continue to, please don't want to come. You don't want the police coming into any place. Mm-hmm. If they continue to say things about your mom and stuff like that, well, <laughs> then those friends will go out the back, go out the alley, and next thing you know, they disappear. Yeah. But I did get in the snowball once. It was an opening day. Opening day is at, at Wrigley. I don't know if it was like Christmas, New Year's, and the night before Thanksgiving. 
and there was uh, an altercation towards the door and I tried to get between the two guys and walked right into an uppercut <laughs> and he hit me in the chest and knocked, knocked me out. And then I remember the bar, bartenders just coming over and we ended up in a snowball. You don't want to be in that as we're rolling out the door. Yeah. But yeah. just get them outside. Um, oh, thanks, Al. forgot <laughs> about that. Yeah, no. Here we go. Um, so I guess like take us, you know, through the, you, you get out of high school, you know, you're doing whatever after high school and then like kind of, um, how you went down the road, you went down. Oh, uh, okay. So, you know, I'm self-sufficient at 18, moved out of the house when I was 19 and had health insurance, a steady paycheck. City job was pretty hard to get fired from until they implemented drug testing. But that wasn't until the late 90s, and we'll get to that. But I just worked midnights for the first two years and, you know, 10 at night till 6 in the morning. So my weekend would start Friday morning at 6 a.m. And sometimes we'd drive up to Lake Winnebago, visit a friend, or just if it was the summer, we'd be at Silver Lake. And um, just a lot of partying, a lot. <laughs> And but when I was on midnights, I didn't go out during the week because you just you, you never get used to those hours. And yeah, then I got on days. Days were six till two in the afternoon. And then when I transferred to streets and sand, you got a little more leeway. Um, and then, you know, in the late 80s, I met who would be my future wife. And we ended up marrying in 1990. And that didn't last. And by then, my partying had gotten way out of hand. And we had a kid and it was probably for the best that we split and it was her idea. So if that, uh, that in a court order, uh, about not drinking or using any substances when my son was with me on for visitation, uh, put me in treatment January 26th, 1997. Never look back. So far, so good. How many years sober now, Jim? Just turned 27. Yeah, 27. Yeah, I don't I don't miss it, but I don't take it for granted. And I'm glad I've got guys like these two and a few others around to keep me in line mentally. Mm -hmm. Have you ever ran into like moments where you're like, shit, I don't know if I can, you know, keep this going. Cause it seems like the as long as I've known you, it seems like you've had twice. And I told the one story yep. at the coin meeting, and I'll be brief. My first year of sobriety. The only reason I remembered this was because I was sick the other night and it's still a little sick but i was it's a big deal when you get one year mm -hmm. you got a group of friends and you better show up or they're going to come to your house and think you've celebrated by drinking mm -hmm. and i had a good sponsor and the meeting was at the lincoln park Elmo club blah 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 i was coming down with something i went i got my coin i didn't go out with anyone afterwards one of my hunting dogs who lived with me was sick and i just remember coming home and I was starting to get sicker and laying on my kitchen floor going, okay, I made a year. I don't want to drink. Mm -hmm. I was actually afraid to drink because I knew I, I would lose my kid even more and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, is this what I want to do now? I've lost all, I've left all my friends. I've got these new friends and this thing called AA. Um, and is this what I, and I'm basically looking up asking for a sign. Well, with that, the dog threw up a chicken bone and I was like, okay, I'm not going to the vet. She got in the garbage and that was what was wrong with her. But then I went in the living room and turned on the TV and the channel was already preset to channel nine. Mm -hmm. 
And what was on TV when I turned it on? It's a film called Hello, My Name is Bill W. And it's the story, it's James Woods and Gary Sinise, of how AA was created. And I'm asking for a sign, yeah. and it couldn't be clearer. <laughs> and Sometimes we need stuff like that to slap I couldn't face. believe, and if, for those who don't believe me, that I will swear on my kid's eyesight. And it was in black and white, and I watched it, and I got up the next day and started writing my fourth step. And that was, I didn't look back up until, I guess the closest that I came, was I'm gonna be brief. 2007 or eight, I'm 11, 12 years sober. I'm in Canada fishing with my brother, my nephew, and my brother-in-law. My brother's brother-in-law catching fish like crazy, and just having the best time of my life. And someone tells me because I'm in Canada, I can drink because everybody was drinking, mm-hmm. and they're throwing this thing called fireball. We're trolling past each other, and they're having that. It got to the point where I had the bottle, the cap off. And it was like near me. It wasn't like I was in a bad mood or not. I'm like, yeah, I guess I can. You know, I'm listening to this. And I remember looking up saying, this is where I'm supposed to ask for help. And with that, my brother opened that fireball and I smelled it. And at that moment, I regurgitated. Person who talked me into doing that got the bottle flown at him. Mm -hmm. And I said, don't ever do that again. You don't get it. Mm-hmm. And there's more to that, but I'll leave it at that. Did you have, was it hard leaving your friends that were still living the lifestyle that used to live? Like when- No, no. And actually they, they're real good about it. Mm-hmm. You know, they left me alone and so did my family. And that was a good thing. They, mm-hmm. they didn't understand it back then. I don't know, but I'm, I'm glad it was mine to do. And I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I don't take it for granted. Tomorrow could be as a different day, but mm-hmm. did anyone was anyone relatively like really supportive about it? Mm-hmm. And were they? My cousins, the ones who live down here, mm-hmm. they under, um, one of them understand it. Um, the people you meet and I can name them. Mm-hmm. There were five of us who they're still, we're all still keep in touch. One's in Italy. The other's in Chesterton, Indiana. The two of them married. Um, they've got kids, uh, Andy and his son have been here to fish mm-hmm. and we've still keep in touch via the internet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we were a strong group up until like five years of sobriety, which you think is a lot, but isn't. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I struggle more with the mental aspect of how to live. And that's what the program brings. It te- teaches you how, how to live. And then you surround yourself. They say, stick with the winners. And those are the people I met there and the people out here. Mm-hmm. What do you say people. how to live? Is that just, you know, how, how to go through life without, you know, these substances? Is that what you mean? Being how to re-enter person? society. Yeah. I mean, because you, you now can feel. Right. A lot of times, you know, if you're, if partying is a big part of your life or, you know, drinking, whatever, you know, your vice. Only, only part of my life. Your vice of choice. Exactly. It's like, what do I do with this free time that I have now? You... You go to a lot of meetings and that was what I was thinking about when I was laying on the floor that one year I had done treatment, outpatient, six months, 90 meetings in 90 days. Wow. Uh, My sponsor suggested no new relationships for a year, Mm -hmm. no quitting your job and no leaving the state for a year. Everything has to come full circle. And I would recommend that to anyone who goes through anything, a new job, a new move, give everything a year, all four seasons. And I had reached that and, and well, the sign was there. Mm-hmm. And then you, you need to 
stick with it because I've gone, when I had my surgery, you go meet, you know, months without meetings and you can feel you're getting mean. Mm -hmm. Not that I wanted to drink, but I'm just becoming a, just irritable. And it would show on if I was around people. Yeah, definitely. So it keeps you grounded. The difference is, is that people like you guys can understand it. But when I go to a meeting, so everyone in there, they know it. Mm -hmm. They all know it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's a difference. Did you ever run? So how many like sponsors did you have? Did you always only have one or was there multiple? And basically I had one for about till I moved here, mm -hmm. which would have been 15, 16 years. And he was he was real good. I've lost touch with him. Now my sponsor is one of those guys who uh we got together. He's a couple of years more sober than I am, but that doesn't matter. He could be 10 years less. And he lives in Chesterton and we keep in touch, but uh, my first sponsor, it's unheard of that you have the same sponsor for 15 years. That just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And I think he was proud of that. And uh, he, he uh, would call me on my shit. Mm -hmm. What was it like going to AA meetings? Because obviously people relapse. It's, it's a part of it. What was it like? Well, I had gone to meetings, but I had never not planted myself at sobriety until that day. I got gotcha. you. Go ahead. I'm listening. But yeah, like what was it like encountering like your peers, I guess, like you're going to meetings and whatnot and you're around people that are trying to get sober and just seeing them relapse. Like what was that like for you? It's frustrating, especially when you sponsor them and um, I could be gullible. I want to help everyone in the beginning and man, you can't. The people who come, they've got to want it. And you'll know mm -hmm. when they want it. And if you don't want it, you you know, uh, you don't push anyone away, but you're not going to get it if you don't want it. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not saying it's the greatest thing in the world. I mean, there's other things you can do with your time, but I honestly, I was pushing to a corner. I had nothing else to do. So at that time I could multitask. I, after five years, I was going to three, four meetings a week working two jobs, part-time dad, and I went back to night school. Mm -hmm. And that kept me away from moving out of the, quitting my job, moving to California or doing something lunatic. Mm -hmm. And that's where my sponsor came in. Why would you want to do that? You've got this, he had the same job. Why would you want to do this? You got this job, you could retire. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like sick of hearing it. But then all of a sudden I'm 50 years old. I'm like, hey, I walked away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Which something to be proud of. Because... <clears throat> From my own understanding, like a sponsor is someone that has, you know, also like proclaimed sobriety. Struggle with addiction. Oh, yeah. 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 So I, like, and, and you've also sponsored people? Tried to. I'm not very good at it. <laughs> um, I'll listen to anyone who has to talk. I'll give them my number. I haven't been asked to be, be a sponsor in a while. Probably that vibe I give off. But um, you've got to be on call 24-7, especially in the beginning. And, and I was, and I can think of the guys. And, um, you know, you can just tell you're being used, you know, when someone you're sponsoring says, well, can you watch my kid while I go to a meeting? I don't know your kid. Right. What is that? That person is not going to a meeting. Okay? <laughs> they may not come back for a couple of days. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. And, and you, you, you got to let it just fly off your shoulder because when I was out there, I did some sneaky stuff, but so having a, a good sponsor is really good. And they're just, they're good. It's like a mentor. They're going to cuddle you when you need it and bit you out when you need it. You right. know? So did you ever run into issues like with your own sponsor, like relapsing or no, he, it was pretty solid. He, uh, 
uh, he, uh, he had, uh, substance issues and I didn't know that till I was like five years with him. And he told me what some of the things I was like, holy shit. Mm -hmm. Um, and he lost a lot. He lost a lot more than I did. I was lucky. I had like a medium to low bottom. I still had a job. I could still pay my bills. I could sit, sell the house off. I just lost my family. And that's why, if you want to hear it, I'll tell you what alcoholism is. It destroys families, period. Untreated, it will destroy them. Treated, it can mend them, but it takes a long time. Mm-hmm. So You're not the only one with in your family that struggled with alcoholism, right? That I know of? Yeah, just me. Really? Yeah, I can't point fingers at people. It's a self-diagnosing disease and right. there's no law against it. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to families, they say immediately all bets are off and they are. Yep. So my family's been good, you know, and, and a lot of it is I have to look back and say, well, it's me, you know, just because I'm not drinking anymore doesn't mean I'm still I'm not a jerk. Mm-hmm. And the more I can pull back and look at that, or sometimes look in the mirror and hug the cactus mm-hmm. and I'm the cactus. <laughs> um, it, it, it's better. And this is something I learned out here. Sometimes the best action to take is no action. Yep. So what was the, like the number one thing when you're, when you're struggling, when you were having issues with it, that just kept you grounded set aside from your sponsor, what kept you like, out of honestly, it's that first year, they say you get a higher power. Well, raise the Catholic, you know, it should be God, right. you know, or it wasn't, it was those people. And I can, I, I can see their faces at the meeting. It was the people, the fellowship. Uh, we still keep in touch. And I didn't want to disappoint them. Yeah. On the other hand, there were people who scoffed at me when I got sober, couldn't, you know, and I wasn't going to let them win. I was, you know, it, it came to that. And then after a while, you're like, well, now nah, I'm doing this for me. When you start to see how much you've grown and how much more you can grow up, grow up and, and be a better parent, a, a better friend, you know, an okay son and brother, but it, it, it it's a guide for people like us to reinsert themselves into society. Mm-hmm. So, uh, your like alcohol addiction, like you weren't like a hard liquor guy, were you? Like you just drank. I would have if I could. I would have if there was nothing else. Okay. Um, just like when you made the decision, I mean, alcohol is known to be one of the hardest things to quit. Right. So it's such a social, it's social drug. Social, but actually, like the the substance itself is alcohol is one of the like one of like two or three substances that if you're so far gone with it, um, you are not supposed to quit it cold turkey. Yeah. It's actually like, it has been known to kill you if you quit it cold turkey. I know of someone who tried to detox themselves and shook so hard they had a stroke and ended up dying. Wow. It's a friend of mine's father. And I remember it well. He was a uh, fifth of vodka a day and he just went cold turkey. And there's others you hear about in meetings or sometimes you'll even see them. They'll come in and they're detoxing, and it's it, they'll hallucinate. They'll think worms are coming out of their arms. It wasn't that bad with me, uh, to where when I went to, into treatment, they checked me out, and I was in pretty good physical shape. I was already like on the second day of the, and, and alcohol takes a day or two to get out of you. Mm-hmm. You know, um, those drugs back then were a day or two. Now I've never heard of some of this stuff that 
you're instantly and that, that scares me, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I got moved from uh, Lutheran General Hospital to Holy Family Hospital it was more about alcohol. And uh, three hours a night, three days a week, same group of people. They wouldn't allow girls in our group. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have a moment where because of like alcohol related accidents or I guess if you will, like that you thought you were going to die from being too far gone in that situation? Nah, no, I, I, I was scared enough mm-hmm. to stop at 34, which is a pretty young age, but I, I still carry that scared with me. They say whatever it takes, mm-hmm. even though it's supposed to be, you're doing it for you. I didn't realize that until like a year or two into it. Cause I wasn't, I wanted to, I wanted my kid back, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, but then once I accepted the fact that I'm going to be a single parent, um, you start doing it for yourself and, I don't like to think about it. Yeah. Um, but if I'm talking about it, I'm thinking about it. That's what they always say. I, it's been so long. And for today, I'm not going to drink it. Mm-hmm. That's all I can say mm-hmm. about tomorrow, tomorrow. And that's one of the things that I've had to relearn and learn again is, is that one day at a time thing. You, you can't look ahead. Uh, oh, I got Christmas. I got a birthday. I got this. No, no, no. Worry about today. Mm-hmm. And you'd be amazed how what can happen between now and that that wedding that's coming up in two weeks, or, you know, and all stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, in the beginning, it's keep it simple and first things first mm-hmm. until you can learn to micromanage again and stuff. And yeah, it was just go to meetings, just keep going, keep going. So you didn't really feel like physical effects of putting, you know. Oh, I felt them every time I I came on off a bender. And my last one would have been Columbus Day or uh, Martin Luther King Day, 1997. I was in Nino, Wisconsin. I remember that on a lot of drugs and a lot of booze. And Packers were played in the Niners. That's all I remember. (laughs) Three days of forget. I don't remember it. And I think the week after was when I checked in because i detoxed myself that week Mm -hmm. so i had to go back to work and stuff and the the detoxing was just you just want to die yeah the only thing that's going to stop it is reloading and going back again forcing down a beer or or 10 and but after a while you just it 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 can all it does is like putting a band-aid on a a dam that's Mm -hmm. all Mm -hmm. so you didn't but what i'm saying is like when you you know checked yourself in and like you know for those first three months of sobriety could you feel like yourself just craving you know no no No, once it got out once it was out of me i was terrified especially sitting around the group i was with and i can see some of their faces two of them are dead and they did it by choice and one of them had cirrhosis he was younger than me dad owned apartment buildings near Wrigleyville and I, I would see him we'd play golf together and, and he just said you know I'm golfing I got a drink but you could see the his belly and he was pretty far gone and he ended up drinking himself to death the other guy was a little older and he just disappeared one day and then we heard about him there were a few of those mm-hmm. so no I was honestly I was terrified in the beginning that the treatment it's not a scare tactic but if you Look at it the way I did it. The other people were coming in and out, in and out. I didn't want to be one of those. Mm-hmm. Here's my chance to get a six month certificate or something. Yeah. So, so, so alcohol versus like you had some other substance abuse like problems. I, 
Was alcohol harder or? Uh, alcohol was what I would revert to when I got rid of the, stopped using the substances mm -hmm. because uh, I'm glad I did because when I got out of treatment, they implemented mandatory drug and alcohol testing at my job. Zero tolerance. You piss hot or blow hot, you're mm -hmm. fired. Mm -hmm. And they were firing guys so fast in 97 that they had to stop doing the drug and alcohol testing because they couldn't <laughs> hire them back. Yeah. <laughs> and I would get tested a lot. I don't know why it's supposed to be random, but yeah, you got half a day. So oh. it's, um, it's so easy just to. There's no cheating on this yeah. test. You you go down there and you sit. Mm -hmm. And if you leave, you're going to be brought before the man and probably fired. Yeah. So. Um, you know, substances were easier to stop for okay. ego reasons. We'll call it that way. Mm -hmm. And, but you know, you say, well, I'm going to quit using this drug and you'll drink more. Yeah. And that's I what I was going to say. I would drink yeah. more. It, it's so easy. Like I shouldn't say it's so easy to quit like using a drug, but it's, it's just, what I mean is like, it's so easy just to fall back on the alcohol. It's like, all right, I'm not going to, I'm not going to smoke anymore, but I'm just going to drink because you know, I can walk down to the store, right? And exactly. Yeah, not have yeah. to worry about getting. Yeah, arrested. it's it's so accessible, and that's that's what I was trying it's, to say. It's and, very easy to like switch one vice for another. Yeah, and now like even with like marijuana, now like I, I don't have anything against the people who use it, whatever. But that's another thing that's just very available to, mm -hmm. to access. And it's like, oh, I don't drink you know nearly yeah. as much, but like I you know smoke a lot more yeah. weed or something like that. And yeah. It's like, yeah, but is that you know really accomplishing what you wanted to accomplish by giving up alcohol? Right. Um. What do you think put you in like worse positions, like drinking? Or All drinking, like, no doubt. Really? Oh wow. Oh no doubt. And I, I, my memory's foggy, but when you're close friends and you're at a bar and you're just spewing out stuff that you should not say, <laughs> yeah. and one friend who could beat your ass just with a look just says something. He pulls you aside and say, what are you doing? And of course you're like, oh, what do you know this? And then you wake up the next day and you're like, well, that's about the 10th time that's happened lately. Mm -hmm. And it just progressively gets worse as you get older. You know, I'm 34 now, three beers, and I'm I'm slurring to where when I was 18, you know, I could go. Mm -hmm. it, it just gets progressively worse and you make poor decisions some of your friends will call you on it. Most won't. It'll mm -hmm. be like, I won't see him for a while. But, it, they, you know, that gets to you. It makes you think after a while. At first, you're angry, but then you wake up the next day, you're like, yeah. Realize you're the jackass in the situation. <laughs> Most of the time. Most of the time, your real good friends are the only ones that will say anything to you. Yeah, I mean, your, your buddy is that, like, if you're acting like a jackass and it's just like a buddy, it's not really, like, your guy, they're just going to kind of let things go. But... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Your your friends are like, hey man, could be a, a dingleberry. <laughs> there was uh another guy who recently passed. He's uh 30. I don't know if I'm 27, he'd be 32. He'd be 33 years sober now, but he was 31, 32 when he passed, and he was like a mentor. He he was a boozer, um, older, and uh I knew him. And he just quit one day and went into a meeting and never looked back. And he he got it of all the people I've met, because he would come and speak at meetings for me and I would go and speak on the South side for meetings for him. And when he spoke, when the meeting was over, people would just surround him. He was magnetic. When I spoke, I was like, get out of here. Yeah. You know, and, and he, he just, he had so many trials and turbulations through his sobriety that just would bounce off him to where me, that would drive me crazy. Mm -hmm. And he was, a, he was a good man. 
He's a good, good I, do, I didn't, that's another thing you talk about. I didn't want to let him down. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. That's kind a lot of, of, a lot of fail saves, those coins. Yeah. You know, I don't want to let you guys down. You know, I, we'd have to whoop your butt. You know, I'd be mad if you did. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be mad when you did and probably say, you don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. I don't want to try it, but I, exactly. I'd be mad when I came to, I'd probably be like, what the hell? <laughs> Do you ever worry? Because you're around. I mean, we spend a lot of time with Jim. First of all, Jim's kind of like our uncle that we didn't ask for. He's just it, it, it's the way it worked out, you know, and uh, we all drink. I mean, Jim, he'll he'll come out with us and do whatever. Sitting here drinking a beer yeah, right we're now. drinking a beer right now. <laughs> but does it ever is there any like inclination for you to be like, oh, man, like, no. Good. You guys drink the crummy stuff for one. <laughs> okay, if I'm gonna if I'm going over the hell, yeah. it's not gonna be for one of those. Gonna yeah, be for right. Achilles or yeah. you know what? If the good Lord gave me permission, I would fly to Ireland mm-hmm. for one day, and I still wouldn't want it. I this sounds crazy, but you would hear this. It means I'm glad I have what I have. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no law that says I have to, and it's just it it's gone. It's mm-hmm. the monkey is off my back. And in some ways, it becomes your identity, mm-hmm. and you want. It. I'm proud of that. You know, right. I mean, that's definitely one of the things. Like when I think of you, like, that comes to mind. Well, yeah, just be for. Plus, you hear some stuff that is just crazy. Right. And you're like, God, I used to say the same things. Yeah. <laughs> Not with you guys, but when I worked at that restaurant, right. I was like, Yeah, you did. No, but like in, in, inevitably for us, like you're a role model, and you don't really necessarily know it, but. Just for I when I went through my accident and I had a work accident. I don't know if we talked about the pod yet or whatnot, but I broke pretty much the like whole. I got cut off from episode one. It did, yeah. I you broke, had a bad year. I had a bad year. Broke the whole right side of my body. And I was in a wheelchair for a long time, um, recovered. Took took about a year to recover and whatnot. And uh, Jim walked into, he came and visited me in the hospital, but then he walked into my grandma's house and I was having a tough time emotionally mentally physically i mean everything just it sucked for lack of better word and jim this he was celebrating another year sober and i was just looking for something that i could cling to to give me some sort of light at the end of the tunnel i guess and he flips me his coin he's like there you go buddy and i just the serenity prayer in the back of it i I don't know if you guys are familiar with that jim if you want to repeat it otherwise i can no, it's just uh, everyone. A lot of people know it. It's it's God granting the serenity. serenity to, set things yep. I cannot change. The courage to change the things I can. Wisdom to know the difference. And in that moment, it's like there's nothing I can do to change what's happened. I can't. I can't. I can't refall. Not fall off the building. It, <laughs> it took place. There's nothing I can do. Um, I can't change what happened relationship wise with things. And uh, I just started moving forward after that. It's like all right. Quit open around, start going to physical therapy, doing what you got to do to get better. And that little moment was just life-changing for me. I know it sounds so cliche, but you, you, you experience things like that, that just one like subtle coin flip. I swear to God, it was something out of a movie. Caught it and it's just like, man, it's it's time to move forward now. Like I, I'm, I'm done feeling sorry for myself. It's time to take the next step and do what I have to do to get better and recover and live a normal life, you know? So it's just well, it goes two ways, you know. Yep. Coming from the city of Chicago out here to Quietsville, and I'm a loudmouth and Chicagoan, and you know, a lot of people went to bat for me when I needed to grow up, even though I'd been 15 years sober. 
you know, it's easy to go back to your old ways of not just drinking, but thinking, stinking thinking is what it's called. But, and to answer to good people, there's a lot of good people here. If you, you got to look for the good in people and what that prayer basically says, and this is something I go back to not as often as I used to, but I can only control me. Mm-hmm. I can't control other people. And when you, something bad happens, the, the word is acceptance. You got, and that's how you get sober. You have to accept it. You admit it and then you accept it. This is what I am. And then you go into action. But once you can accept it, and I mean really accept the shit situation you got into, mm-hmm. falling through a roof. I saw you. I can't believe you weren't screaming. And you accept what you have and you you can go one way, you can go the other, but when you make the decision, then you do the footwork, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah, you've got, you've done well. Mine are the same with you. You, you're going to, you're going to be fine. You're <laughs> going to be fine. I, I don't have expectations for you guys, but I could be disappointed. Mm-hmm. And that's why those coins are there. I won't disappoint you today. Don't disappoint me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you're never too old to run a foul. And, and I've run a foul in sobriety, you know, just in my mind. And I mean, you've seen it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think like that today. And like, like I had been saying, I said at the, the meeting the other night, I have never been this content for this long. Roof is leaking. My car is somebody stuck. I got sick, tooth fell out. And it's like, you know what? I can handle that. Mm-hmm. That's material. It's this stuff in my head, which... For today, I've got a, I've got my arms around. As long as I can get my arms around it, I'm all right. Yeah. One so, thing. Go ahead. I was gonna say one thing that I've tried to to get good at after my accident. Like I, I feel like I wised up quite a bit. Like I gave me a lot of knowledge and just how I want to live my life. And I started being appreciative of things that weren't even necessarily good for me or things that could be considered problems. Um, for example, like shit, I got bills to pay and my whole paycheck's going to bills this week and my car breaks down and I got to get my registration filled out and everything like that. It's like, man, like, why am I sitting here complaining when I have these problems? Because these problems are people like that. Some people would dream to have. And it's man, you just need to take a step back and just realize the situation that you're in. It's, it's, it's much smaller than what you think it is. And time's going to go on. Things are going to go as they should be. There's nothing you can do about it. Just ride it. That's very well put. And, and it, I certainly wasn't 25 when I realized that. And it took me in my 40s. And it's got to the point now where, and, and this is where your sponsor comes in. Jimmy, there are people that got it worse. He would say that. And I would think about, or my nephew. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I, and now it's like, Times are a lot different. Technology has changed and information is out there all the time to where 30 years ago, if we had this technology, I would probably jump off a cliff. And (laughs) I mean that figuratively, not literally, but just because of being bombarded with all this and being the worry work that I was Mm -hmm. to where now I'm watching a a documentary on PBS just because I'm homesick and got nothing to watch. And here's another one about someone who got out of North Korea. And the first thing this woman did when she met a guy who was helping her get out of North Korea was notice that he had, he was heavy. And I knew it was legitimate right away because North Koreans aren't, aren't well fed. 
you know. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking to myself, who determines where I was born? Exactly. You know, I could have been born in Afghanistan, in Gaza. I could have been born in North Korea. I could have been born in Mexico, been more, you know, or in a slum, you know, but I was born in white class America, Chicago, and I've had opportunities. One of the coin holders taught me about opportunities and I take the opportunities that are worth, I look for them. I don't go searching for them, but when they come, I take them. And at that point, and this happened a few years ago, I'm just grateful. Now I was never grateful younger. I used to think the world owed me a living and that, you know, I'm spoiled, you know, this and that. No, I'm grateful that I live in a free country that I can go to the store and get food and this and that to where there's people who were born young children who have no choice, who don't, you know, understand what freedom is. They're, they're oppressed their whole life. And and when I see that, I'm like, God, I've got it good. Why would I want to drink? Or why wouldn't I want to try and do something better? So, so after you retired, which is, I think 2010, then you moved out. 2012. Okay. And then you moved out here in 13. I lived at my mother's in Niles. That's why I had to retire. Because uh, your mom got early. sick, right? My mom got sick with Alzheimer's and we had to sell the house. And you couldn't live in Niles and work for Chicago. So I lost like 2% by moving. And I moved into her house for nine months. And then uh, my cousin who lives down the street, her sister found me this place. I'm like, okay. I always wanted to live somewhere about Chicago. Okay. And this was perfect. Yeah, led me to my next question. I was going to say, like, do you think moving out here where it's, you know, a lot slower, pace of living, quieter, I mean, did that kind of help you with? Oh, absolutely. Just, you know, kind of like bringing your nerves from 10 down to, you know, wherever. Not in the beginning because I didn't understand the morality out here. (laughs) And it's, it's a lot different. And I'll say... I've said it before, I'll say it again. I had to live in Chicago for 50 years to appreciate being out here. And if I could, I would live somewhere smaller. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it was hard to go to bed at night without sirens, gunshots. And I'm not kidding either how quiet it was. And when the only uh, crime was some kid took a golf cart and rode it through my yard and neighborhood watch when I'm like, uh, people pretty much police themselves out here mm-hmm. or, or used to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, like kind of like uh, a few years ago when uh, Aiden came and there are a few undesirables here and uh, you and uh, Maverick just took care of it, mm-hmm. you know, I, and without incident, you know, in Chicago, that would have been a different, and, and I, I used to remember, I used to say, I answered to God, AA and my son mm-hmm. and the IRS. Well, no, I answer to you guys too. Mm-hmm. And I mean that I do. I don't, I try and keep a, a, a tight moral, and ethical standards and you know we'll all take stuff to our grave i've confessed just about everything you guys have heard my <laughs> stories. you know i i wasn't a felon or nothing like that but you know i wasn't morally sound and you know i like to to keep that i'm also a parent and you want to show that off and you know it does rub off mm-hmm. on on your kids if you approach it the right way right you know and i'm lucky i'm lucky yeah mike's a good kid yeah, I'm very lucky with that. Freedom. And all you guys. Hell of a guitar player. But one, yeah, I mean. One thing I was uh, just thinking about during this conversation was, you know how we're talking about going to get tattoos soon, Jim? Oh, God, you guys kidnapping me tonight? <laughs> not tonight, not tonight. How much money do I have? Not tonight. <laughs> but I got two ideas for you because you kind of were looking for ideas. Um, have you ever seen where people get like the 
mom with a heart. Well, no, like, <laughs> well, like you know, like sobriety, like they'll like keep the tallies. It's well, that's one of them. And then I was also thinking like the uh, serenity prayer would be good. Serenity prayer is it, it helps so many people in so many different ways. Like, yeah, it's an AA prayer. Well, he's but... looking for he's looking for inspiration. Right. Well, I'm not. Uh, how do I, put this? I think he should get a highway boy stat with us. I think um, the fact that there's certain people who get a text that every year when this happens, mm -hmm. um, that's my way of like my day to brag. And I told that to someone the other day and I'm not the one to put it on the internet and stuff. And I don't, the people that do, God bless them because I'll type something in congrats and they know what I mean. But I think for me to have that inked on me um, cause it's not guaranteed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, it saying. would be like, like, this is my son. He's always going to be my son. Mm -hmm. Okay. Would I get a girlfriend? And I doubt it. My mother. <laughs> yes. But if I were to do something like that, I would get O period, D period, A period, T period. And anyone who's an AA knows what that means. Okay. One day at a time. Okay. And uh, that, that I would do. Okay. But it's not tops on my list. <laughs> so uh, Jim's first uh, tattoo story was he was going to get his son's name tattooed on his arm, which he does. But his son's name is Michael. And what, right when he put the M on you, he said, uh, shorten it to Mike. It, it hurt. Too, it was man. too much. It hurt. <laughs> that's one. Of, I think that's one of the funniest stories ever, especially and tattoo he did. stories. He shortened it, but seeing all <laughs> you guys with yours, you know, they say you want to get another one right away, and yeah. I did. Yeah. As soon as this one dried, but I couldn't find anyone to go with me, and then it's just kind of like, all right. And then my mother had a fit when she saw it. Yeah. <laughs> my dad was already passed, but I'm the only one in my family, and it's so small. But uh, doesn't mean I can't get another one. I've I've got a couple ideas. ODAT would be, uh, that would take a minute to mm -hmm. do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as far as a design goes, uh, the yin and yang would be all right. And then I got a picture in the car that only uh, my kid would get. You guys would get it, but it, uh, that would hurt. <laughs> that would hurt. So just come and get me. I'll do it. Not give me get give me at least another week to get this crap on. I'm it's coming not, up. It's not getting off the I flu. I don't think it's gonna be tonight. I don't or think it's in the next maybe week. this week. <laughs> maybe this summer. I think we play. If you guys took me, I would get. Uh, That'd be so sweet. <laughs> I would get something larger than this. Yeah, I've never seen someone who's like excited to get kidnapped to get a tattoo. <laughs> He's been saying this the last like three weeks. He, did, he let name. me know about yeah. it. I can remember every name of my dogs. Yeah, and I've had at least eleven. I'd have to be go go down, but most of them were kept at the farm. Mm -hmm. Um, so like since moving out here, you know, things are a lot slower paced, a little quieter. Um, were you always an avid fisherman? Yes. Okay. Uh, it was. It would go between golf and fishing. I was. Uh, golf's not good for recovering alcoholics. I can no, tell you that no, right now. And that. the person I'm talking about was my mentor. Still played three, four days a week. The toughest courses. He was 80. He had a stroke. And the, do and the doctor said, you're not going to play again for another year. He's hitting balls in two weeks. <laughs> this guy was, and I would, when I knew him well, we would play. I just took it way too serious. And you, you, golf's supposed to be fun. So it is. See, fishing's I'm, more like tell that to Alex. I try to have a good time. Come, I, I think I enjoy myself when I'm golfing. Yeah, I want to get good. I want to be better than I am, but. 
enjoy myself. <laughs> There's an old saying, when you're playing good, you never think you'll play bad again. And when you're playing bad, you'll never think you play good again. I, know, well, I retired on a bad note <laughs> after having a real good See, game. my issue is like, for example, I played on Christmas. We played Westlake, the Lynx course, and played out of my ass. Just played great golf. I keep, this is It's not repeatable consistently. It's going to happen once every six months I play the game. And then it's like, can't wait to get back out there <laughs> i get back out there and it's like i can't hit the fucking golf ball <laughs> it's january and this yeah. guy's texting me to go hit dude i want to go yeah i mean i just washed my clubs last night i put them in the sink got them all cleaned up ready to go i'm staring at them and <laughs> I, I spent some money on my golf bag and uh i'm also i'm an account manager i'm in sales so it's kind of a, well, a skill yeah i need yeah. to learn how to golf and be better than i am and Fortunately, I, I like to think I'm kind of a funny guy and can keep that going, and I'm good at my job because my golf game does not keep me in business. I will say that. <laughs> but I did beat Cade one, and Cade's a good golfer. Cade one, is a good golfer. Cade's a great. I, I will say I would even give him the category of being a great golfer, and <laughs> for the average Joe, for the maybe. average Joe, like it. But it, imagine if you had a good set of clubs, dude. You've been playing with clubs at oh eight, oh man, and. I, I did beat Cade one time. I mean, one I time out of how many? <laughs> out of like maybe two hundred. <laughs> but it's just that one day. I, and I was swinging well, and there's <laughs> and that's what sucks is like. Then your friends see that and they they expect more out of you, and you just let everybody down. Jim, you could shake off the dust and uh, come to our was it fourth annual fourth annual Brush Creek Scramble. Yeah, but that isn't that would be oh, kind of hard for someone that's. Uh, it's not drinking, yeah. <laughs> Maybe we don't. I don't think we want Jim there. Well, that was the part I liked about golfing was that I was being uh, that guy I'm talking about, my mentor. We were the only ones sober, and we had we usually win a lot, yeah. closest to the pins and stuff like that. Something, uh, I guess I want to ask you, Kate. Have you ever had moments where you're like, man, I need to kind of quit doing what I'm doing, get things under control? Oh, uh, there's definitely been some times. I think, like, actually recently, just like thought to myself about, you know. You know, in my 20s, when I have, you know, some time and energy to try to work towards stuff that is maybe more productive, um, that I can kind of build, you know, forward and uh, hopefully, you know, go somewhere with it in my life, you know, versus like going out every weekend. Um, I think like a, a lot of people already do that. And it's like, yeah, it's fun and all. I mean, I enjoy it. Mm -hmm. um, definitely not someone that uh, turns out a good time. <laughs> But it's like, to me, like, would I rather put in time and, you know, effort now so that I can enjoy my life later on yeah. um, versus, you know, just wasting all my time in my 20s then you know, being one of those people that has to work until they're, you know, however old, mm -hmm. um, you know, because they, you know, don't have the luxury of, I don't want to say retire, but basically just to do what they right. enjoy. Um, so I think, you know, it's kind of been my mindset lately. Um, but Yeah. No, I'd say motivated individual. I mean, you do a lot of stuff to you. You try to be as productive with your time as you can be. I mean, you and again, you, when you have free time, it's a weekend or whatever. You you have fun. You make sure you enjoy yourself. But when, I mean, you don't like to waste moments. I mean, because time is the most valuable thing you can you can have, and you take advantage of that for sure. No regrets. No regrets. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Regrets. In, in another life, I enjoy being a caddy. I started caddy when I was 12. That's a cool job. That is a, to, to link up with a tiger-like 
pro and yeah. be a pro caddy, that is a living and a half you yeah. make plus endorsements. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to worry about being nervous about the shots on yeah. him. There's a guy, uh, but it's you need to be good. To yeah, be a caddy. there's a his name's uh Thomas Broders, Bubby Golf is his name. I watch him on YouTube all the time. But you brought him up, he's a caddy, but he's also sober. He, he got sober when he was in his teens. I mean, he struggled really 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 bad with addiction with alcohol specifically great caddy like great golfer i mean but it just dude's always freaking happy and he's in his he's in his like mid-20s right now where they they blew up on social media so they're huge all his friends are drinking they're they're going out they're doing everything that i mean young kids do and the dude's just sticking to it he's like yeah he's like I'm going to enjoy myself. I'm going to be sober this whole time. Yeah. And he's like, but I'm just going to live my life the way I can. And it's just, it's awesome to see him have fun, like good, clean fun. And that's like, we talked about, I think, was it Bargetti last pot or two podcasts ago, comedian that doesn't swear, doesn't like, he's not vulgar at all. Wow. He just has like good, clean fun. It's like, man, that's hard to do. But when you can do it, it's so impressive. And people are just drawn to you. It's like moss to a flashlight. I mean, it's really tough when you're in your teens and twenties. And I, I thinking of someone who stayed with me for a couple of weeks when I moved out here a couple of times to get clean. And I understood, you know, but in that case, you're going to die a lot quicker than alcohol will bring you down. You're going to die because the drugs you're using are going to bring you down. Mm -hmm. The point is, in your 20s, it's like everybody else, all your friends are out doing it. But when I was, you know, 34, my friends were married and all of a sudden they don't do what they were doing anymore. You know, they're responsible parents and, oh, I might have a beer every now and then. And here's me just getting sloshed at every opportunity possible. It, it kind of wakes you up. You know, it's like I'm not supposed to be slowing down with this, but I have no regrets. Um. I mean, and I've said it before, I'll say it again. I, if the good Lord took me today, I have lived an awesome life. And it's all written down. A lot of it scattered throughout the house. <laughs> but I've talked to my son about things. And I've cleared my conscience with him. He laughs at some of them. but And that's important, too. I mean, just kind of, you know, coming face to face with your demons. And at the end of the day, um, you know, maybe not that specific day, but at the end of, you know, a certain period of time saying like you know i faced my demons and i won yeah because you know? there's a lot of time like there's a lot of days you do lose right can't pick your demons nope. yeah no but, uh, at, at the end of the day when you have no regrets you know i've done just about all right so i don't get to see the red hot chili peppers whoopee <laughs> we watch my youtube how many people can you just pick up and go yep. i thought about that uh if i'm like before i got sick i'm like well it's not gonna snow for a while i should just go where do i want to go Oh, maybe I'll go to Ohio. Yeah. Maybe I'll go up to North Dakota yep. and freeze, you know. There's some very random places, especially in the middle of winter. You no, know, and, and I have that luxury. I, I don't use it enough. I'm proud. I may use it this summer. I'm going to use it in April. You should, I'll be yeah. Out west. You'll do that. But I I have no and, and And, you know, you talk about talking with your kids and stuff like that. And, you know, him, him and I have had some pretty good talks. And I just blurted out. Because I can tell you this, if people like me or people in AA 
you think people don't know they know mm -hmm. and then eventually the truth comes out it could be 20 years later or something you could have for forgotten about it i'm like oh boy yeah so i admit to it even if half of it's concocted the base of it <laughs> it's very free very freeing when you uh can apologize or admit something that you thought you'd take to your grave and be sincere about it it's mm -hmm. uh, very powerful yeah all right jim we're uh closing in on a lot of time on this episode do you want to leave us with something words of advice yeah you're dying words. i don't like giving you guys advice because i've learned you give, good advice, you give good advice jimbo listen at my age to see things through my eyes and you gotta remember i live alone and i chose this this is the life i chose but i've surrounded myself with good people who have good parents and I think Meyer knows what I'm talking. I know Porter knows what I'm talking about. It is not easy being a parent. It's the most rewarding thing. And I didn't open my eyes in that until I met your parents, how rewarding it can be. And I don't want to be 62 and be that grumpy old man saying, oh, these kids with their phones and this. I want to accept <laughs> it because mm -hmm. when I was your age, we had concerts, we had stuff that our parents didn't mm -hmm. do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Hunter was probably the one who got me to, who opened my eyes to that when he said, Michael Jackson was the big tour in the 80s. It was $30. I was like, he's right. Mm -hmm. You got to wait in line to get tickets. But now it's, he would be $3,000 yeah. to see. And I, and I accept that. But the biggest thing is I've learned so much from the young adults out here. Not, I learned from your parents, but I don't get to sit with them and, yeah. and hash it out. But it's a, it's a testament to your parents. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I would, the best one is just don't say a word. You don't, you have no idea how many times you guys would be coming over and something would be bothering me. Like, no, don't say nothing. Don't say nothing. <laughs> and if you don't say anything, no action is sometimes the best action. Yeah. We appreciate you coming on. Um, we appreciate the journey you've taken. We're proud of you. First of all, I mean, I am a coin holder of Jimmy B's. Um, I carry that with, uh, heavily i mean that's that's awesome to be a part of his journey and that he would trust me with a coin um to kind of symbolize his his journey with sobriety and we appreciate him coming on i appreciate kate and we're gonna close things out there yeah Everybody, thanks for having me yeah thanks for taking a trip around podcast. trip around saturn <laughs> trip around saturn with us trip around podcast yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right cut